Hello, friends. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe for an episode of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. There are no games. It is currently like Wednesday night, and Josh and I are recording, though this isn't going to go up until Thursday afternoon. And with the Luka Doncic calf injury, we have been sort of stewing and hoping and, you know, hoping against hope that we're going to get like some something more declarative about what's going to happen with Luka in this series. But we're not, so we're going to have to find a way to talk about this anyhow. Josh, what's up? Uh, nothing much. Um, always love to have crushing sense of doubt with this injury stuff, just foreshadowing what should be like a really fun playoff series and like preview. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. this was like the last two series, like the previews have always our preview coverage, not just our preview coverage, but everyone's has been like, well, you know, hope for the best but they're playing against a better team and now for the first time in what feels like basically 10 years they're the favorites in a playoff series and of course we have we can't like (laughs) you can't talk about the actual matchups or anything because you know Luka Doncic might not play uh or we don't know how much he's gonna play if he does so my kind of you know after having talked with Jeff Stotts which if you all haven't listened to our podcast yet he really breaks down what the injury is and also how it could potentially affect Luca. I think the best bet is to sort of split the difference and assume that Luca is going to play at some point when the series is not yet fully decided. I do not know if that means game one or game three, but that is sort of the range I would say because the the ch- discussion around Luca's injury, and Josh and I are not doctors. We're not going to proclaim to be doctors. But on the one hand, you have Adrian Wojnarowski, who is not connected in Dallas at all. Like he's just not. Like there's no other way to say that. Who is going on TV every other day and talking about how dark this is. And then you have local beat reporters who are actually going to practices, including ESPN's Tim McMahon. Um, and various people who are just talking about how everyone at practice seems somewhat like there's not this sense of existential dread. It's like, a, well, we'll see, you know, it, 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 it's just like an odd sense of gamesmanship. So I think that the, those of us who um, really like get emotional over all this shit, i.e. me, um, I'm just I'm I'm preparing myself that Luca's going to miss the first game, but I I don't think like this notion that he could miss a significant chunk of the series, like not play until like game four, I think is crazy. Do you have any sort of like feelings before we start doing some analysis? Um, I don't. Yeah, I, the thing with me is just you know, and I'm not. This isn't an original point, and other people have made it. Is just you know he's played through. Uh, ankle sprains he's played through neck sprains shoulder injuries everything he's kind of toughened out and played through have been injuries that are like okay well it can't get much more worse than this it's just pain tolerance and this is i don't know how many like muscle strains he's had since he's come to dallas i can't really remember if he's pulled a hammy or you know it feels Mm -hmm. like his injuries have been like hip back ankle uh stuff like that um And this is just the type of injury that you just can't, you just can't close your eyes and, and, and cover your ears and just be like, all right, play through it. Just be tough, like tough it out. Like, it's just not, um, not to say that like, it's going to make mean, that's going to mean he's going to miss a lot of time, but it's just, it's just one of those things. They just have to get right. And they can't, they can't 
mess around with this because, you know, the famous example is Kevin Durant came back from a calf injury and then tore his Achilles. Obviously, it seems like Luca's calf strain isn't maybe as serious as Durant's was. And I think there's been some reporting from Tim McMahon and Tim Cato at The Athletic that the 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 strain is more in the middle and top of the muscle, which apparently is better and lessens the chance of an Achilles future Achilles injury. The higher the the lower the the lower the calf strain is, the, the better chance of an Achilles injury uh, coming back from it. So that's good news. And again, we're not doctors, but again, it's just one of those things where even when he comes back, I don't know if he's going to be a hundred percent. See, and, and that, I, that's that's the scary part. But the the hundred percent part about this is, I think, sort of being under considered. Where I I'm just going to be honest. I'm not worried about future injury. I'm worried about effectiveness. A particular friend of the show, I don't want to repeat who, but just said to me the other day, "Of, I'm worried that Luke is going to come back and he's going to play like absolute shit." And that, like, that's yeah. not even on like the bandwidth for people because we all just sort of assume Luka Doncic superhero, and I get it, <laughs> right? But, we pencil him in for thirty-five, eight and eight, in, in the right, and because that's how good he's been. But then yeah. you look at like how he plays, and in his left calf, which is the foot that he plants on, that is where this injury is. And so it's like if you peel back from there and say, okay, I'm not worried about future stuff. I'm just worried about like the right now. If it hurts him a lot, he's not going to play very good. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. You know, the last two Mavericks playoff series with Luka, I mean, holy crap, against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, first playoff series ever, he put up 31, 10, and 9 on uh, 50% from the floor, 36 from three. And then last season, he put up <laughs> they had 35.7 points a game, um, eight rebounds, 10 assists on 49% from the floor and 40% from three. And like, we're just assuming like, you know, like you said, we're just slotting that right back in for what he's going to do against Utah. And there's the, the talk around the Mavericks has been, can they get enough from the role players to make a run? Like that's always been the talk. It's been the talk first playoffs last season. It's going to be what we're going to probably talk about a lot tonight and what everyone else is talking about. Like, Hey, can these, can these role players make shots and do enough to support what Luke is doing? And we can't, I can't, I haven't even considered like, what if Luca has a bad series, you know? Right. And like, if he has a bad series, like it's the ripple effect of that is immense. And it's like talking about a whole different basketball team. And so, yeah, that's a, that's worry. That's worrisome. Cause I just, I don't, I can't imagine him playing, like playing poorly, just how he's played 13 playoff games and he's basically been w- one of the most incredible basketball players I've ever seen in those 13 playoff games. Yes. So, uh, I can't imagine well, anything else. Anything well, let less. me let me suggest this then, and this is kind of our our understanding before we go into this discussion because this could age like a banana laying on the countertop. I think we should assume that Luca, if Luca plays, he is able to play and can play within a range of how he finished the season, and we discuss the series in that point of view. Does that make sense or no? No, that makes sense. I think it's the only thing we can do. Uh, okay, because it's too hard to guess otherwise. Okay, and you know, <laughs> at the end, we can maybe say, "All right," because well, no, let's just get this out of the way. If Luca isn't able to play game one, I think the Mavericks can win a game based off of their ability to shoot the basketball and flummox the Jazz, who are a team that is facing an existential crisis 
as a team. They just are. They finished the season, Josh. I'm pretty sure this is right. 24 and 24. They were the they were the number one seed at one point for a significant stretch and then just fell off a cliff. Now, many teams did, but the Mavericks, on the other hand, finished the, the they finished the season. It's like winning like a 75% of their last 50 games. Like they were crushing teams. So I know like we've talked for a long time. And so if if the Mavericks are without Luca, I think that they are they are a interesting enough team to be able to steal at least a game is is that crazy no because i think i might be crazier and i think that they could probably win this series if luca didn't play at all oh god um, that's spicy i mean i don't even know if i can go there i love I, it i know but i my rat like there's a part of my brain I, I wrote this in slack that's like still a little dumbfounded at you know the success of this team but it's hard to ignore that like you know, I, I think I posted on our Slack. They won their last forty-eight games. They were thirty-six and twelve. That's a sixty-two win. Like, if you <laughs> did that over the course of the season, they would have won sixty-two games. Uh, no other team in the NBA won sixty games aside from the Phoenix Suns, and it's like they just kept winning. And, yeah. and like they 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 had some blowouts. Uh, they won some close games. Like they, it was just like it didn't really matter. They just kept winning and winning and winning. And the games that they lost felt like kind of like aberrations in the sense that it was like, okay, well they were due for, for a cold night and then they would go and they would, you know, they, they got embarrassed by the Knicks and then they won, you know, at Houston, Boston and Brooklyn three in a row. Uh, and then they kind of lose a tough game to Philadelphia and then they come back and, and, you know, win two in a row after that. Like they, they haven't lost two games in a row in a very long time. And like, you think about, a seven game series if they were you know when was the last time this team lost four out of seven games this season like it's been a long time and it's like we just haven't seen them you know to lose a playoff series means they're losing four games in a short amount of time and we just haven't seen them do that since december and oh, it's man. been they've been winning so much it's just hard for me to imagine them losing and i know that obviously luca has been the engines for this winning run but let me throw a couple of numbers out at you, Kirk. Sure. Uh, in the two games Luca has not played uh, since the Spencer Dinwiddie trade, uh, he is shooting 19 of 35 from the floor. Uh, I don't have the points average, but he had 36 in one game. It's only two games, so small sample size. But he had 36 in a win against the Kings, and then he had 26 in a win against the Rockets. Admittedly, not the best competition to stack that up against. Sure. But that's two games without Luca that even, you know, last season's Mavericks or the pre-trade Mavericks would have absolutely struggled. Cause I think before the Spencer did what he trade, I mean, weren't the Mavericks like I can't remember what their record was without Luca, but it wasn't good. And the fact that they were able to win twice without Luca in the stretch, again, qualifier, horrible teams that they played against. But I think Dinwiddie like he seems to play well starting with Brunson if Luca can't play and he's done that two two times and he's looked really good and uh I don't know I mean that's kind I get of, it I get it because if if Dinwiddie wasn't here and Przingis was here I'd be like there's no there's no sure. chance because Dinwiddie is just on a different level well, basketball different is played play. differently like yeah, basketball does not get played yeah like Embiid and Jokic are MVP candidates because they're bigs who can handle and distribute the ball. Like that is not KP, but I, I, I saw an interesting comment on MavsMoneyball.com, which 
you commenters, if you listen to the podcast, just understand we love you. We read a most of your a lot of your comments, but some of y'all are are deranged in the best way. And one person like made the reference: the Mavericks are deep. And I'm I'm curious if that person doesn't understand the definition of the word deep because. The Mavericks play seven and a half people regularly. And when you remove one of those people, someone else has to play more minutes. And I I think that the Lucas Mavericks could win a game, could win a game in maybe two out of four. But I think that over time, depth becomes a challenge because you know, one of the things that broke broke's not really the correct way, but like Maxi Kleba told Brad Townsend today that he's feeling a lot better. So he expects to play more. They've rested him since April 1st. You get Maxi back in the mix. I don't really expect him to do much, but him being a warm body against a huge guy like Gobert is important. But then it's like you're without Luca, and over time you you put more and more pressure on Brunson and more and more pressure on Dinwiddie and it's just a lot to expect from them. And I think that's why they could get away with it from time to time. But the Mavericks are going to have to sort of shorten the game, which they and the Jazz both play really slow-paced games. And I don't know how you do that. Because the Jazz are an incredible three-point shooting team. Um, the Mavericks' defense, three-point defense is pretty good. But, like, three-point defense is kind of luck-based. Like, there have been games where the Mavericks just get shellacked from beyond the arc. And it's just, it's one of these things I'm a little bit concerned about because if you're playing Dinwiddie, Brunson, Bullock, uh, Dorian, Maxi, uh, who am I forgetting? Or Powell, uh, Maxi or Powell. Maxi or Powell. And then is big. Yeah. yeah. And then it's just like, like you see some Josh Green, maybe like I would prefer, I'm just, I'm, I'm having a hard time ex- like, like expecting Josh Green minutes. You play a little bit of Bertons. And then you're kind of at you're you're at the total number of minutes, like 256, whatever the heck it is, um, over over you know five players times the whole game. And over time, I think that just wears down because you know you play a shorter rotation anyways, but if you cut a, a star player, it just and I mean any player really, it becomes a little more challenging. And so I think I understand why you you're in a lot of Mavs fans are like super confident that the Lucas Mavericks could win games. It just, it, it's so alarming and I just can't get there yet. Right. No. And I think another big thing is that the thing that makes it really tough to do these previews and to look at all this data that we have is that it's become increasingly clear. It's been like this for a while, but I don't think this, the difference has ever been as great as it is right now. Regular season basketball and playoff basketball are, are two different sports. And yes. the sooner we accept that, the easier it will become to talk about Okay. The playoffs, because I still, you know, like I said, I just told, gave you a bunch of reasons why, like, I I really am confident in this team. But again, regular season playoffs, things are just different. And, you know, obviously the pace slowing down isn't going to affect the Mavericks because they're last in pace. But just the, the coverages are different and the scouting is different. You know, it's one thing to play a different team every night with no practices and it's another thing to play the same team and you know in seven potentially seven straight games with practices with film sessions with with proper preparation yeah um and it's just it just changes things like you know we've seen maxi kleba you know he's been shooting horribly so obviously hopefully he can be better when uh, he comes back but the thing is, is like he's not going to get guarded like he was being. He's been guarded the last two weeks. Oh, he's yeah, not going to be guarded, guarded at all, right? I don't it's, think he's going to be guarded at all. And and some people are like, well, he hasn't been guarded 
already in the regular season. I'm like, yeah, I'm talking like extreme. Like there's a difference between sagging off and then playing free safety, which I think is what the Jazz will probably do with some of these role players. And it's just different. And you're, you mm-hmm. know, guys are wide open, have to make the wide open shots. And if you don't, you have to kind of engineer some offense, almost like a five on, you know, that's like four on five in a way. Um, and I just think the playoffs can really expose weaknesses more than the regular season can. But, you know, having said that, I don't know what else the Mavericks could have done this regular season to ease some of the fears and the doubts of their playoff performance. Sure. We just kind of have to see it. And it's hard to, and like I said, it's just, it's just hard for me to predict because we've seen this team is relatively the same except for the KP trade. And it's like we've we watched two playoff straight playoff series of everyone not named Luka Doncic, uh, pardon my language, basically crapping their pants uh, for an extended playoff stretch. Um, you know, Dorian had a couple of good games. Tim had a couple of good games. Um, but, I, I've, you know, f- for totality, you kind of look and you can see yeah. when the Mavericks lost in the playoffs, it was Luka scoring like 35 and everyone else like not doing anything. Um, and it's hard to shake that, like, okay, well, what's going to change? Because we've seen these players two years in a row. Uh, I guess one thing that helps is you're not playing the Clippers, of course. You're not playing Kawhi <laughs> and Paul George. Another thing with the Jazz is, I mean, their defense is really – it's Gobert. And, I mean, I never really thought too hard about Gobert's impact. I always knew he was like a defensive player of the year level player. But I think this season has really shown that, like – the Jazz don't really have anyone after him. The Jazz are terrible on. without him on the floor. Like, yeah. like, un, like, remarkably, remarkably terrible. Like, he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year. But in terms of, like, individual defensive metrics, he beats everyone else on, like, the Defensive Player of the Year stuff with a stick. Like, it's it's really crazy that that some of the issues the Jazz have had as a team come down to the fact that, like, Certain people aren't feeling like that. It's it's a bizarre situation, but he is so good on defense. Yeah. And it, it it's and keep in mind, guys, we're still talking about like the Lucas Mavericks, is what we're talking about here. And I I just see a path that the Mavericks could it's not a wide path, but it's a path where one good shooting game from the right person breaks them apart. For the the Jazz, you mean, or the Mavericks? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Because like, you remember, to, it was last season. Dorian Finney-Smith had a game <laughs> where they just left him open in the corner, and he just went ballistic. And I could see something like that happening for Maxi of all people, um, just because, like, like you said, they're not going to guard him. So it's like there, there's really an opportunity here. And like, if Luca doesn't play, the pressure. You know, this is not going to be a national media narrative, but like the pressure on the Mavericks is off. Like they have no pressure because if if a top five player in the world is not playing, you're not expected to win. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but the thing with the Mavericks is you look at Dinwiddie and Brunson and then you look at the Jazz and the counterparts. Like if Gobert isn't like the reason why the Jazz can potentially shut those two people down is not because of anything they offer on the perimeter. Like, that's what makes me slightly confident is I don't think anyone on the jazz can one-on-one guard Dinwiddie or Brunson. Um, I mean, Donovan Mitchell is an atrocious defender. Um, Mike Conley is a solid enough defender, but just age wise is creeping up. And I think he's maybe not as impactful as he used to be. And then you look at the rest of the like Jordan Clarkson's not stopping anyone. Um, You know, Royce O'Neal does okay on the wing, but he's not a guy that's going to guard, you know, consistently you know, stop dribble penetration from, from the point of attack. Um, 
and, and you and you realize like things get really bleak for their perimeter defense. So, you know, but Gobert changes things. So it's to me, it's not necessarily how do the Mavericks. It's it's all about solving Gobert. Like mm-hmm. you solve Gobert and you win the series. And, and and if you can solve the Gobert problem, I mean, you can win the series in like four or five games because the Jazz really just fall apart. Otherwise, like he's their he's their trump card on defense. And I'm looking at some numbers right now. So like when Luca is on the floor. Uh, and against the Jazz, when Luca's on the floor and Rudy Gobert's on the court, the Mavericks have uh, a net rating of negative 4.4. When Rudy's off the floor and Luka Doncic is on the court, uh, the Mavericks have a positive 1.1 net rating. And by the way, Luca's true shooting percentage when Gobert's on the floor is 54%, and with Gobert off, it's 60. So uh, it's obvious that it's, you know, how do you attack those go bear minutes? And, and it's kind of like what we said, the fact that they've got multiple ball handlers now to keep the ball moving. And it's just going to like, it's boring, but it's guys got to make shots and it's hard to really break it down any more than that because the jazz are basically going to put go bear on the least threatening perimeter player. I think, I mean, they might start him off on Dwight Powell or Maxi Cleveland, whoever's the, whoever's the big there, but there's going to be minutes where he's playing against Dorian Finney-Smith, or, or Bullock or like another, like whoever's playing the four for the Mavericks and he's going to try to play free safety and the Mavericks just have to take advantage and make those open shots. Well, okay. This is a perfect time to directly pivot into the fact of, oh, let's just assume Luke is okay. I know, like I said, like 10 minutes ago, we weren't going to talk about Luke. This is great. I love this. Um, you talked about solving Gobert. And if Luca is anything like Luca, do you think offensively the Mavericks can pick apart the Jazz? I think so, and I think it the the thing that Luca has to be very careful with is not trying to turn it into a one on one. I'm going to try to like embarrass you type thing, which he kind of likes to do. Uh, that game they lost uh, to the Jazz, I can't remember which one. It was one of the ones they lost out of the All Star break. I think they only lost to the Jazz once after the All Star break. If you remember that game, I think Luca was like 0 for 4, 0 for 5 against Rudy in straight up isolation possessions because. The Mavericks from the pick and roll, the the Jazz switch Gobert onto Luca, and then Luca kind of just cleared out. I'm going to attack Gobert one on one, and you know we've seen Luca. He loves to go after the best player on the floor, regardless of if that best player on the floor is like an all defensive tear. Like we just saw him specifically get Giannis screened onto him in the Mavericks regular season win against the Bucks. Like Luca's a psychopath. He loves to do that, but. That could come at a cost because I think the Jazz would be okay with that. The where the Mavericks can really get them into trouble is if Luca is driving, kicking, moving, or if they run another pick and roll, maybe run like a small, like a Dorian pick and roll with with Rudy. If Rudy switched onto onto Luca, they they just can't settle for that matchup. They have to keep going and attack it because I think if you settle, you're letting Rudy, uh, you're letting Gobert off the hook. Mm. Well, offensively that makes sense because with yeah. with their and they have enough ball handlers to where if Luca needs to do something different, that, that's that's key. fine. And right. and that's pretty excited. Now defensively, I'm I'm pretty curious to see what the Mavericks do because one of the things, and I'm I'm pulling up our man's playoff stats because I think this matters. Um Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs is the last two years has been incandescent in seven games in 1920s. So in the bubble, he shot 52% from three <laughs> on nine attempts a game. <laughs> yes. And then last year 
he shot 44% from three on 11 on 11 attempts, 11 and nearly a half. 12, 11 and a half. <laughs> and so you're, you're in order to stop the jazz offense, you have like, you basically have to stop him. And yep. he is a peculiar player. When you go through and look at his year this year, he's had a really good year, not as good as the year prior, but he has a remarkable number of five for 18 nights where he's just like unable to hit shots. And it's and two of those have been against Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I'm going through just, and granted, this is all recency bias, like, but in the month of March alone, he, he ends up shooting the ball pretty well, but like the last, like against the, the Memphis Grizzlies back in um, April 5th, he shot six of 24. That's <laughs> fucking hard to do. It is hard to do. The thing with Donovan Mitchell that's like make or break in this series is because it's the one thing the Mavericks defensively I don't think have an answer for is that pull up three in the pick and roll. And I think the Mavericks have been better in terms of like showing the big man a little bit higher when they defend the pick and roll. Like that's we've talked about that to death. We've written about it. Everyone else has written about it. Like the Mavericks aren't playing the the ultra conservative drop pick and roll scheme that Rick Carlisle played for for ten years. Like yeah. they're a little bit more aggressive. They're not as aggressive as when Kid was coaching the Bucks. They're not trapping and blitzing every single time. But Maxi and Dwight are definitely creeping out to the ball handler a little bit closer than they used to. And they still will play drop. Like they will still do some possessions where they play drop. Uh, so they kind of mix it up throughout the game. But like that's kind of it because you look at the Mavericks roster, like Dorian Finney Smith or Reggie Bullock, those are probably your two best point of attack defenders and they're both having six, two of them yeah but they're both six seven forwards and there's just moments where you just can't ask them to keep fighting through screens over and over repeatedly uh just because it's harder for them to maybe contain these smaller water bug shooting point guards uh we've but seen that's the, Maver- where the Mavericks struggle yeah go ahead they, they don't have a like a great defensive center but if some of the lineups they've been throwing out everybody's six five or taller Right, And so it's not like he's able to do the bum hunting thing Luca does because Donovan's like six foot tall. Like he, he's a small dude and like small guards have killed Dallas. Like I'm going to Damon, Damon, Dame, Dame up in Portland is going to haunt me till the end of time with some of the shit he did to Dorian the last several years. So it's like, like Mitchell honestly scares the shit out of me, but the Mavericks have done so well against him. Yeah. It all comes down to, can they limit the three point shot and can they, because, like you said, with their length everywhere else, it's difficult for him to consistently score at the rim, despite the fact that the Mavericks don't have a true rim protector. Like Dorian is probably and and Reggie are probably much more comfortable if he decides to kind of snake into try to snake into the paint because they can probably contest a little bit better, yeah. use their physical size advantage to maybe bump him out of spots. But if he's going to pull a quick trigger right out of a, a pick and roll from three. You can't, you can't like as great as Dorian and as great as Reggie Bullock have been on defense. You can't ask them to consistently do that for 28 minutes or however many, you know, 35 minutes, however many minutes per game they're going to play. Like it's just really hard. Um, you know, it's harder for those bigger guys to avoid getting screened. And Gobert is one of the best screen setters in the league. So yes. it's going to be a combination. You know, Dwight or Maxi are going to have to show as well as they can and trust the backline rotations behind them. And they just, they have to keep. Mitchell from firing threes because you look at the two games the Mavericks have won against the Jazz, uh, one of four from three for Mitchell uh, on March 27th, 
and uh, two for nine on March 7th. And the thing that jumps out to me are the attempts, like one of four, two of nine. This is a guy that will regularly go 11, 12, 13 three-pointers per game. Like that's not out That's not out of the realm for him. No. Um, so limiting the attempts to me is showing that the Mavericks' defensive strategy is sound because they're they're crowding him a little bit more in the pick and roll and they're able to contain him. Cause that's, you know, cause that's the danger. Cause if you just let him with how good Gobert is a screener, they just, they have to be really precise on their defense in the pick and roll, or he's just going to walk into, you know, open three pointers. And those are like layups for him sometimes. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, he's the fright, like, like right. Boyan Bogdanovich is the other one because with some of the things they do offensively, the ball just rotates to him in, in the corner and he's a dead eye shooter. Um, but it, it, it's, I'm not, I hate being disrespectful of an opponent. I went from not wanting to play the jazz to being perfectly fine with it, largely due to vibes. Yeah, yeah they were the, they were my least preferred first round matchup because I mean, not only were they first in the Western conference earlier this season, I mean, they were blowing in terms of like points scored and points given up per hundred possessions. They were running teams off the floor for the first two months of the season. So it's bizarre to me that it's fell this far for them, but you're right. Teams. I don't think these guys like each other at all. No, no. And the Maverick, <laughs> like there was a wonderful piece in the Dallas morning news today. Kelly Kaplan top talked to uh, Theo Penson and like the, the Mavericks are like, Theo was talking shit to Rudy. And there's just like, there's all this stuff that is not, basketball that we like to talk about because it's funny i this is y- y'all are gonna love this one of my neighbors found out i did a podcast and he was like talking to my wife like a neighborhood thing and said something to the effect of like oh, i don't give a shit what your husband has to say he's not part of the culture <laughs> <laughs> yeah great was, like great like neighbors who had been drinking okay. and it it killed me later on because i'm just like he's right. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a white dude who likes to play basketball. And it was just such an amazing comment because I, like, I would never, you know, like, uh, if I chatted with him later, we'd probably laugh about it, but it's just, we don't really talk sometimes about the things that you can't measure yes. because you dip into shit that is really dangerous. And I don't like saying stuff like that. And, and stuff we don't fully know. Cause we're not, in locker room right. talking to these guys every day like you know tim mcmahon and, and the rest of these reporters are yeah uh, yeah that makes it difficult but you're, it's hard to ignore because i mean they're they're saying this things that they're saying uh, after games when they lose the things that gobert is saying mitchell's saying uh it's not good um and i don't know if that's i mean they've got a week off to maybe help fix things but I mean, we're watching the same highlight clips of Mitchell not passing to Gobert with Clay Thompson pinned underneath the rim. Like, we're listening to Gobert basically say, like, we don't have anyone else that can play defense or that wants to buy in. And it's, I mean, it goes all the way back to the COVID season and Mitchell uh-huh. was pissed at Gobert for the, the way he was lackadaisical about, like, the seriousness of the pandemic. Uh, they both got COVID really early on. I think Mitchell was, like, kind of, blaming go i don't mean not not outright but you just read the tea leaves and you kind of felt like mitchell was mad that gobert was like the cause of the outbreak on the team and like man it's just i don't know what you can do about it uh because if you thought the vibes were weird with like kp 
and Luca, like at least like post game, those guys were like very professional and and everything yeah. sounded good. I mean, and they really actually even... did seem to like each other. It's yeah. just it didn't work in a way that was just so. And instead of doing what the Mavs have, or instead of doing what the Jazz have done, the Mavericks sort of were just like, okay, we're we're yep. not doing this anymore, right? And there's and, something to that. Yeah, and I mean, if the season, if this series doesn't go well for the Jazz, I think that's going to be their time to do something about it as well uh, with some of the rumors. But yeah, it's crazy. They're the two best play, like Mitchell and Gobert. They're the two, they're the two best players on the team, and they might be the two biggest causes of the team's horrible chemistry and vibes. It's it's wild. crazy. Man. Well, there's a lot more that I think we're going to have to dip into once we see some more basketball. But with what we know that's up in the air, it's kind of going to come down to if Luca plays, can the Mavericks defense or offense, like, like just, I don't want to say outscore, but just basically figure out the Jazz defense, which is not near as good. And I think the answer is it can. Will it is a different deal. Yeah, that, I agree. I agree. I think this is going to be a track meet series if both teams are healthy. Really? Um, yeah, I don't. I see like not track. Sorry, track meet is is more like not pace wise. I just mean like oh, okay points and scoring and shooting efficiency. Like it's going to be. I think we're going to see some banana shooting numbers. In oh, this like series. execution. Like yes. we're going to see some like okay that yeah. I can totally get behind. Yeah, it might be slow pace, but I think we're going to see lots of buckets and 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 lots of like high efficiency shots but um it's kind of how i feel they it's it's a really weird because they kind of out you know go bear is obviously like an outlier uh, mm-hmm. but the way these teams play is so similar to me like offensively like the jazz are very much the drive and kick pick and roll get open mm-hmm. threes i mean that's the mavericks that's luca uh you know the the, the jazz offense is buoyed by uh you know playing one big Running pick and roll, rim running, getting open threes, or getting getting layups and dunks. I mean, that's what the Mavs have been doing for like three years now. With yep. White Powell as their center, like it's just interesting. Like stylistically, I think this is going to be like aesthetically. I think this is going to be a really fun series to watch. Yeah, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see these two coaches kind of chess match. Because hey, this is another unknown. Um, I mean, Jason Kidd in the playoffs. Uh, yep. We haven't seen he hasn't been a head coach in the playoffs that much. Uh, he had the run with Brooklyn, and then I think he had what one season in the playoff, one or two with Milwaukee. But I mean, this is going to be his first playoff game in a long time. So he's obviously improved basketball wise this season, uh, enough to where me and Kirk have openly admitted that, sure. okay, we got that one wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to see how he, you know, he handles it too. There's a great, and I meant to talk about it on the, the show that I did this morning. Um, but Brad Townsend wrote a great Jason Kidd and coaching staff based piece that, you know, where it's, it, I don't want to spoil it, but it's really worth going to Dallas morning news and clicking. It's, it's the headline is a we culture. Jason Kidd's unwavering trust allows Maverick staff to shine through challenges. And just to, to summarize in a nutshell, like the trust issues, like Jason Kidd was a power mad lunatic at both of his previous jobs <laughs> where he was a head coach. Like that's not an unfair statement. There is copy out there. Like he was not good. And so it's really cool to see some of the things in terms of growth. Um, defensively, I am concerned because the Maverick defense that we had seen January, February quietly went away in the all-star break 
over time. And but not for whole games. Like there are times when they locked it down, but against the Jazz, and we just discussed this, the Mavericks are going to have to lock this down tightly. Yeah, they are. And I'm I don't know if they could get that juju back for a series and against a team that's this good. Um, to be honest, like you're right. Like their defense is not trending in the right direction. The last two weeks, uh, their defensive rating, according to clean glass, is giving up 116 points per 100 possessions, 14th in the league. Um, so not great. Uh, but oddly, like the fact that the offense has turned it around is is more reassuring to me. Uh, in terms of them like winning a playoff series, going farther, that defense really has to has to button up. But I wrote a piece, and I know we're running against the gun here, but I wrote a piece a couple, like at the end of February, that was, I looked at like all the offensive, all the teams that have won a playoff series since 2011, looked at their offensive ranks and kind of tried to see the trend. And the trend was if you were ranked 15 or below on offense, the only way you went, the only four teams uh, since 2011 and won a playoff series and, and all four of those teams were one or two on defense. So Knowing that this Mavericks team is improved defensively, but we both not kidding ourselves. This is not a one or two ranked defense. I'm just glad to see the offense turn it around because maybe the defense can be good enough in spurts, uh, but there's really no getting around if their offense struggled like it did in, in the yep. first couple of games. Like their defense was not, it was good enough to win regular season games. I don't think it would have been good enough to win playoff games when their offense was that bad uh, in November, October, November, December, parts of January. So uh, I'm encouraged. Like they don't need to be elite for four quarters, but they just need to get enough stops when it matters. And uh, as long as their offense is playing the way it's been playing. Yeah. Well, Josh is right. We're running up against the edge of our <laughs> recording software. Um, this is, we always talk more than we mean to, but this was actually really fun. I think if we know any more in the coming days, we may record again before the series starts, but until then you should have a steady drip of, podcasts and coverage from our site because we're all getting really excited to watch and write about this game um those of you who listen i mentioned this this morning but if you don't know where you're going to watch games two and three try to figure it out now because it's going to be a pain in the ass because the nba tv it's blacked out locally which is insane but hey that's all we can do this has been kirk henderson and josh bow uh please go to the website rate and subscribe and all that wonderful stuff and we will talk to you in a couple of days